This episode of The Startup Life is brought to you by People Ready. Startup Nation, you have a lot on your plate. The last thing you need to stress about is finding quality staff or the available work you need to be successful. Save time and headache by working with a trusted staffing partner that meets your everyday needs. People Ready is a national staffing provider with over 600 locations across the country and 30 plus years of experience serving people just like you. They specialize in a variety of industries including retail, manufacturing, logistics, general cleaning, hospitality, construction, and more. People Ready understands that you're busy and on the go. That's where their mobile app, JobStack, comes in. Use the app to place orders or find work 24-7 or wherever you are. And as social distancing continues to change the way we interact with customers, colleagues, and our everyday lives, JobStack provides the ability to find the right temporary workers or work you need while eliminating the amount of physical touch points needed in the staffing process. Visit PeopleReady.com forward slash Startup Life to learn more about how you can partner with PeopleReady. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we spend a spend, we tend to spend a lot of time with the people that we work with, and many of them take that whole, I didn't come here to make friends approach, which may not be the best way. Also, with our new normal, we may come uh, across some new you know, air quotations, uh, new co-workers, which means we have traded Ted from accounting for our little ones who heads up the division of cartoon services. But today (laughs) we have a fantastic guest to help us out with all of this. She is an expert on friendship and healthy relationships, keynote speaker and author. She has been featured on Fox Business, The Early Show, The Today Show, The Steve Harvey Show and more. She is also the author of The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships, where we spend most of our time. And Startup Nation, that book is out today. If you look in the show notes, uh, if you listen to the replay on the podcast, you have a link there in the show notes, so you can go ahead and purchase that book. She is Startup Nation, Shasta Nelson. Superstar, how are you, ma'am? Oh, I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you. No worries. No worries. You know what? Are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? Because we can definitely use your advice. Well, let's see if you can handle it all. I've got lots to give. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's get to it. So if you would just kind of share your origin story, if you don't mind, uh, please, Shasta. Yeah. You know, I can look backwards and just see I've been passionate about relationships my entire life. Gotcha. And my first career was uh, p- being a pastor, actually. And so oh, okay. in that world, that, that's where I kind of got my uh, like training ground for lots of marriage counseling I had to do. I gotcha. had to like help train small group leaders. So like, how do you bond? community? How do you organize community? How do you make a difference? How do you make relationships happen? So boy, I got like a ton of training in that world. And then moving out of that, I really found myself more passionate about how do we actually build community? Like we have really high loneliness numbers. And a lot of us, it's not a matter of needing to network more. We're still like lonely, even if we know a lot of people. Right. And that's really what's taken me the last you know 12 years out more in the business world, out in our lives, where it's like, how are we doing life? And why isn't it leading us to feeling more connected? And that's the inquiry I kind of keep exploring in all of my books and this one goes into the, our day, our work, our work life, because it's like, if we, if we're lonely at the end of our work day, and I say work day, like I know a lot of everyone works different shifts, right. but the point being is if we're, we can't make up 
loneliness in our off hours. Like we just have such limited off hours and they're competing with so many other things and we're not able to make up that socializing, the socializing and the connection and the, and the really meaningful re, you know, relationships that we need. So hence sure. the business of friendship. And <laughs> here we are today. Absolutely. You know, I want to ask a follow-up because I was curious about, you know, uh, when we was doing our show prep and you talked about loneliness being a huge factor uh, in a lot of different things. And but, but one of those things I thought was fascinating was that you were saying that, you know, millennials, uh, and, and Gen Z have, you know, uh, like uh, have to combat with loneliness and that can be uh, quite problematic, not just from a, uh, you know, uh, a social aspect, but actually from a physical standpoint as well. Yeah. And they're higher than the rest of us, but they right. certainly are not uh, certainly not alone in that area. We are seeing really high loneliness numbers across the across the board. And that's before COVID. Right. right? That's before most of us are working remote even. And, but yeah, we are seeing, and it is kind of a sad thing to start seeing that it's, it, we used to associate loneliness more with the elderly and we're seeing that this is actually, we've got a lot of, a lot of us who are young saying this matters and a huge amount. And I'm not feeling like my social connection needs are being met mm-hmm. and it does affect their health, our health. Um, one of the studies was showing that millennials would millennial women by double digits more than any other generation would rather have cancer or then be lonely, you know, and yet their loneliness numbers are really high. And unfortunately, the correlation between loneliness and our physical and mental health is really well documented. So if we feel lonely, and let me just articulate the difference here. It's not a problem to feel lonely. It's like feeling hungry, right? Or feeling tr- feeling tired or feeling thirsty. That's not the problem. Right. The problem is if we don't get that hunger met or we don't go to sleep or we don't drink, it's like the problem becomes if it becomes chronic or we don't know if we don't have access to the things that we need. So if just feeling lonely isn't the problem. But if we don't get that need met, that's where the problem happens. And that's worse for our health than if we smoke 15 cigarettes a day. Right. It's worth, worse on our health than if we are you know, obese or don't exercise or don't eat well. It's worse on our health than if we are lifelong alcoholics. So, I mean, the numbers are really, this is a really significant public health issue for sure. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. And Startup Nation, some of that uh, statistics that Shasta just uh, kind of talked about, you can actually see that in her TED Talk that you gave a few years ago. I actually watched that uh, a few days ago in, in prep. And so very fascinating stuff. Also, we have that link in the show notes, Startup Nation, if you want to check out uh, that TED Talk. Very fascinating stuff. I want to ask you a follow-up because you talked about how, uh, you know, in those millennials and Gen Z is that it's higher. Is that because of social media? Because you would think, you know, when you're younger, you're out and about, you're trying to have a whole bunch of friends. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I certainly think there's a lot of factors contributing to Mm -hmm. why we're collectively lonelier. Uh, Technology certainly gets thrown in there. I mean, I think a lot of it is our, our, are many of us more than ever are kind of what we call kinless. Like more people are only children. More people don't have family. We are moving more frequently. So we're kind of uprooting and starting over more often. Our jobs, we're changing jobs more quickly. So kind of collectively, there's a lot of factors that are contributing. And a lot of us feel like we don't have enough time in life. And, and just honestly, I would say the whole way we're oriented in our culture is just not uh, helping any matters here. But I think I would almost say too, that I would, I think I would put it in the framing of like, I think millennials and Gen Z actually know what really matters. And I would argue that okay. they have their values down. I would say this might be a positive thing because gotcha. I would say that most of us actually are feeling that, but more of us have been conditioned to be like, Oh, 
we shouldn't make friends at work. And so we don't come expecting it. Whereas they come into the workplace and say, Hey, I don't want to be here if I'm not having fun and enjoying myself and feeling connected or feeling like I belong. And the truth of the matter is that's the healthier approach. And more of us should be feeling that way. But we see also uh, people of color feel lonelier at work. People who have fair or poor mental or physical health feel lonelier at work. People who are in senior leadership feel lonelier at work. People who work remote are feeling lonelier at work. Men are feeling lonelier at work. So it, they're not alone in that. Uh, uh, by and large, the way most of us are spending our work day, uh, more of us are saying, I would love to feel more supported. I would love to feel more seen. I would love to feel like I belong more and have more of who I am accepted. So it really is a, a, a hunger that more of us are starting to express. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, one of the reasons I wanted to have uh, Shasta on the show, because as we go forth on our path to entrepreneurship and building our businesses and stuff like that, you know, you know, a lot of times we are kind of alone. You know, I mean, true mm -hmm. enough, we we hire uh, employees and stuff like that. But as a startup founder, we actually do find ourselves alone in that regard where, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to figure things out. We wear many hats and a lot of times we're being stubborn and we don't want to ask for help. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. So I want to talk about your book a little bit, The Business of Friendship. Uh, kind of talk about, you know, what prompted this book? Well, when I've been out speaking on better relationships, so mm -hmm. my first book is Friendships Don't Just Happen, and that's how to make friends as an adult. And right. then as I was kind of out talking about that one, I realized, you know, a lot of us, it's not a matter of not knowing how to meet people or where to go to meet people. Like, you don't need an expert to be like, go join a club <laughs> or go, you know, join a gym or like the typical advice. It's not that we don't know where to go. It's that we actually don't know how, what to do with the people we're meeting. And that's was my second book, which was like, how do we make the relationships we already have deeper, more meaningful? Like what if we actually know enough people, but we don't feel known by the right people in a deep enough way. And so it's more about friendimacy and how to build deeper friendships. And then I'm out there talking about that book. And it's so interesting because I teach the three requirements of relationship and we can talk about that maybe in a second, but gotcha. one of the requirements I always ask at the end of all my speaking is which of these three requirements do you feel like would make the biggest difference in your relationships? Like which one is the hardest one for you to do? Which one's lacking? And without fail, audiences always say consistency, which right. is ongoing, repetitive, uh, shared experiences and interactions and having that consistent time built in. And that one is the hardest one for most of us. Most of us feel like our lives are not conducive to seeing the same people on a regular basis unless it's already something that we're kind of forced into doing. Like a, we've joined a book club and we see everybody this every month or we work with them and we see them every day or right. we attend the same religious organization. So unless there's something already consistent in our life, you know, if it's just up to us to scheduling our friends and, you know, it takes three weeks to do that and five emails back and forth and like booking each other a month out. And, you know, it's really hard to get that consistent time. So that's when I really started being like, you know, Work is kind of like what school was That's when we were kids. Like it's the place where we're hanging out all day. Like That's this true. should be our social life. And then when you look at the research and you're like, wow, this actually benefits our employers and our companies in big ways if we have friends at work. And that's where I was like, this is kind of crazy. This is what we as individuals need. And this would benefit our workplaces. And yet I don't hear anybody going and kind of like sounding the, the rally cry and being like, let's make more friends at work, even though all the research points to that. 
Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that because you're absolutely right. We hear that all the time where, you know, either it's the employee saying, I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to to do the job or even kind of like supervisors and middle management saying not necessarily not making friends at work, but no fraternization at work. No, you know, you know, playing and stuff, you know, on the clock or whatever the case uh, may be. But you talk about talk about some of those benefits and some of those studies to where you're saying like having friends at work is actually a benefit to the organization as a whole, because I think that's Fascinating. Yes. So let me just say too, and back up to what you were saying earlier when I was giving some of the health statistics for anybody who's listening, I'm giving the first chapter of my book uh, away, which is all the personal research, like all the health, happiness, job satisfaction, all those motivations and the research to that. And that's to anybody who texts the word friendship to 474747. And we can get you all the research on the individual happiness and health for relationships. And, and then the second we'll have chapter, that link in the show notes for these access. Awesome. So I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, you yeah. No, no. Sure. I was just going to say it. <laughs> and then to your question, the second chapter is all about all the research for the in, for our employers. And this is true for us as startup and entrepreneurs, too. Like, this is true for we feel more excited. We feel more energized in our work if we feel like we're interacting and connecting with people that we enjoy. Uh, Gallup has been doing for two decades. I mean, this is Gallup's like one of the leading reputable Absolutely. organizations. And for two decades, they've been telling us that the best employees are the ones who answer yes to the question, I have a best friend at work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us kind of cringe. And I've heard people say, yeah, but I mean, maybe just a friend or maybe friends or maybe people we like. But Gallup has tested that in so many different variations. And they come back and they say, we would change that wording uh, to make everybody feel more comfortable, except for one stubborn fact. It is what correlates. Like the best employees are seven times more engaged in the workplace Mm -hmm. if they have a best friend at work. So somebody, when we go in and feel like somebody's got our back, when we go in and feel like we enjoy them and we can we feel supported by them. We feel like we can, uh, you know, rely on them and right. and show up and fail and take risks and all those kinds of things that translates to us wanting. And most of us have this experience. Like we've we know the experience of being at a job. And even if it was like our dream job on paper, if we don't like who we are interacting with and working, it quickly becomes the hell job, right? Absolutely. And vice versa, we all kind of have that experience of like staying at a job that maybe wasn't like our dream or organization or description role. And yet, if we really enjoyed who we worked with, we enjoyed going into work every day. And the idea of leaving was just like, oh, I've missed these people and I like them and I feel happy in my work. And so... We know that what we know the research to be true in our lives that who we work with matters more than what we're doing. And I think that's pretty profound. Like one of the other studies that just totally was uh, kind of just it's it just studying it was so crazy because we right. sit there and say, I wish I had more money. I wish I had I got a raise. I wish I had better benefits. Like all the things we say we think we want in work when it actually gets researched, when we're given the actual choices, would you rather make more money or work with somebody you don't like? You know, and when all these different things start getting set up at the end of the day, liking our coworkers, like feeling connected, enjoying the people we work with is the highest the most important thing to our job satisfaction. So it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Got you. No, I appreciate that. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Shasta Nelson, the author of The Business of Friendship. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which I thought was interesting because you're absolutely right. You know, I think most of the friends that I have, I met at school, right? You know, that's because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, that's where I spent most of my day and stuff like that. And then I guess for some reason, as we get older and we move into our, our you know, for those of us who are starting companies or for 
for those of us who go into uh, the workplace, the nine to five, is it a situation where, okay, okay, now I have to grow up. I can't make friends at work. Like, where does that come from? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. What's that origin? I, that is a great question. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of fears that people like. So when I was doing mm, the studies, right. I was asking like, like when I was like my previous books, nobody was like, Oh, that's a controversial subject for you to be telling people how to make friends. <laughs> right. But with this book, people were like, Oh, good luck with that. You know? Mm. And I was like, what is that about? And so I was kind of like surveying and in my research, I was like, what's the, why, for those of you who feel like it's in, inappropriate, like why? Mm. And it was really interesting because they get listed reasons like, well, you're just going to deal with a whole bunch of favoritism in the workplace now. And like gossip, Oh my goodness, gossip is such a mess. And like, what if you have to actually fire your friend? I mean, mm. and so they listed like all these, fears and like the what ifs and like, but this could happen. And I thought it's really interesting because I thought you could actually work for an organization that was opposed to friendship that said, we're not going to allow anybody to make friends here and nobody has friends. And yet I would, I would argue that that workplace is not going to eliminate the fear of favoritism. People are still going to feel overlooked and feel like something that they weren't being seen for something and somebody else got something. We're still going to feel like there's still going to be gossip, probably more so. I mean, I went down the list of fears and hesitations and kind of pushbacks. And I thought to myself, I was like, this is kind of crazy because none of these things disappear. Friendship actually is the is the answer to these things. I thought that's the interesting thing here is what they're describing are dynamics that happen when people interact in unhealthy ways and when they don't know how to do relationship well and have healthy, happy, appropriate <laughs> expectations. Right. And I thought this is what's really interesting is what we're scared of is all the dynamics and the drama of people, but they forget that it's actually when we're teaching and training for healthy relationships that, that will minimize and protect an organization more than if we just avoid the subject and pretend that friendship is the problem because friendship is not the problem. Unhealthy drama is the problem. And so we need to be teaching and training healthy relationships more in our workplace. I would argue. I appreciate that. And you know, I was going to ask you something else, but let's stay right there for a minute because in the book, you talk about reducing the impact of toxic coworkers. And I know a lot mm. of people start up now, <laughs> be honest. I know we, a lot of us, you know, kind of deal with that a lot of times, uh, you know, even in our business, unfortunately, but sometimes in our, in our nine to five. So kind of talk about how do you reduce that impact? Because I mean, obviously if, if you're like, you know, coworkers or peers or whatever, you can't fire them. I mean, you wish you could just wave a magic wand and they go <laughs> poof and they go poof. Right. But unfortunately we don't have that power, but kind of talk about reducing that impact. Cause you talk about that in the book. Yeah. So there's two things I do. I teach two approaches. Right. And one is always the number one. My my number one is always do what you can to repair the relationship. And mm, I teach we can okay. we still need to come to the, the three relationship requirements right. because at the beginning we can use these three relationship requirements to assess which one of these three is limited in this relationship. Which one? Why are we? Why is this not feeling good? And we can usually quickly identify which one of those three requirements is in lack or is behind the other one. And so we can always start with trying to repair the relationship because almost all of us have an example of somebody that we may not have liked initially off the bat. And then we end up learning something about them or having an experience with them or something. We know that we can like people again. We know that we can enjoy things. We know that we can forgive. We know that we can repair. And I would argue actually that for those of us who have been in any kind of a serious romantic or family relationship, we, we know that we feel safer with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. We feel mm -hmm. safer with them because we've gone through hard things with them right. and struggled and fought and negotiated. And that intimacy or friendtimacy, what I call platonic intimacy is actually on the other side of hard things. So we don't want to just avoid, I think in friendships, we often want to avoid these conversations. Right. I really would advocate for repairing. But then to the second point, I teach, if you can't repair it, 
then here's how you bring all three requirements down and then lower your expectations to match those requirements. But even at the very bottom of the triangle of these three requirements, even at the bottom, Dominique, we still have to treat people kindly. We still have to treat them Absolutely. with the bottom of these three requirements to have a friendly workplace. And that's on all of us to learn how to do. And is it fun? No. Right. <laughs> but I've noticed a lot of our frustration comes down to expectations. We keep wanting to expect them to act differently. And if we actually lower our expectations and to say, okay, where do I trust this person? I don't trust them in these areas, but I trust them to get their job done. I don't trust them to not talk about me or something But we can start kind of parsing out and being like, okay, so here's what I can trust them. Here's where I can interact with them. And I'd walk people through that because we still have to learn how to get along. And we, yeah, it's like kindergarten all over again. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I I appreciate that, especially the part about repairing the relationship. And I know a lot of times, Startup Nation, that's some real work. That's some Mm. serious Mm -hmm. work because it Mm -hmm. it takes a lot uh, you know, whatever, but I, maybe, and maybe it's just me and maybe I'm just trying to be optimistic about it. I believe that, you no, know, if there is like a toxic relationship and you try to repair that relationship, I believe that 90% of the time you can fix that relationship. Is that just me being optimistic? Is there some data to back that up? What is, what's your take? On I love, answer? no, I love your viewpoint and I think you're right. And I, I'm very quick to point out in the book that I don't name people toxic. I don't say that right. person is toxic. Right. I'm very quick to point out So here's one of the studies I did, which is really interesting, is I go into companies and do team assessments and Mm -hmm. team offsites. And so I have everybody on the team answer these questions, and it gives them a score in the three relationship requirements. And then there's a question at the end that says, is there anybody on this team who consistently uh, hurts the morale of the team? And it's really interesting. So basically, you're asking, like, is there a toxic person in this workplace? And only 10% of the teams I've ever worked with does everybody say, yes, there's somebody, Mm -hmm. which is really important for a manager to be like, wow, we have somebody that is hurting everything and we need to be dealing with this. On 90% of the other teams, there are, I might say, yes, there is somebody who's consistently damaging the team. And I, there's, there's not, there's not a complete agreement. So there might be two or three of us that feel that somebody's toxic, but the other people on our team don't think they're toxic. And so it helps remind us that if that person were just toxic, then everywhere they went, they would be creating drama and damage. But it reminds us that most of our interactions, it's that my interaction with that person is toxic. So it's not that person that's toxic because they go ha- talk to somebody else and that person doesn't see them as toxic. It reminds me that our inner, our interactions, our pattern, all, what we, the two of us have developed is toxic and it's leaving me feeling bad. It really puts a lot of power in our hands. Like I can't change that person, but I can change me. And when I change me and how I show up in that relationship, it automatically changes the relationship because I'm 50% of it. So to your point, I love your optimism. And absolutely, we may not be able to say this person's going to be our best friend, right. but we can always, always in our control, uh, bring that relationship to a place where we can feel some measure of peace around it and not be worked up and triggered and frustrated on a regular basis. Absolutely. And so you're, you are absolutely right. There's so much we can do. And I often equate it to, um, like going to the gym, right. <laughs> I say, you know, you you go into a physical gym or a gym for physical health and you're not shocked when you start sweating. You're not shocked when you feel out of breath. You're not shocked when the muscles get a little sore. You're not like, Oh, this must be bad. This must be toxic. I need to stop. I need to get away. Like you go in and you know that physical health comes because you have to exert yourself and stretch and strain and tear muscle even a little bit. And yet when it comes to our emotional health or our relational health, it really, we aren't, 
we almost just want it to be easy. And when it feels like we're sweating a little or awkward, or this is hurting my muscles, we just want to give up. And we just want to say they're bad. This must be bad for me. This is hurting me. And I'm always like, no, that's where the growth happens. You know, like Mm. leaning into what you were saying, like being able to practice building the muscles of like, what can I do to repair this relationship is, is to our benefit. So your, your mentality is perfect. I appreciate that. Thank you you so much. (laughs) I I just think, you know, I, I just think, I think most people can be reasoned with. I, I just believe that if you sit down and talk with them, I just believe that. And so uh, I try to live my life and run our company uh, in that regard. I want to ask you this because I know you talked about it in your tech talk. You talk about it in your book, but you talk about and we talked about it a little bit here earlier. I want to dive into it now. Like the three tenets of like positivity, mm-hmm. consistency and vulnerability. Kind of talk about that a little bit when it comes to relationships and relationship building, actually. Yeah. So when we look at what makes for a healthy team and, you know, like Google comes up with psychological safety. And when we look at people studying healthy marriage, we look at some different studies of like, what makes me feel closer to this person than that person? What makes for a healthy relationship? What makes trust? Like all these different scientists, social scientists are studying all these different relationship things. And a couple of years ago, I was like, we are all studying different things and yet they're all relationships. So that's when I started just kind of overlaying and pulling apart and dissecting every study out there and came up with these three requirements that are present in every single study. And we use different words. Uh, but at the end of the day, these are the three things that you just named that are, we can evaluate the health of any relationship. These right. three things are what start a relationship. They're what deepen a relationship. They are what repair a relationship. It is positivity, which is good feelings. Like we want to enjoy each other more than not. We, uh, examples of positivity are laughter, humor, uh, making, you know, just kind of acts of kindness, empathy, validation, gratitude, celebration, cheering, pride, enjoyment, anything that leaves us feeling good. And we might all have different preferences for, uh, you know, what type of humor we like or what fun things we enjoy doing with each other. But at the end of the day, it has to have good feelings with it. Sure. The second requirement is consistency, which we've mentioned earlier. This is the, you know, we can go have a good time, but if we don't repeat it, we're not friends. And so the right. consistency is the repetition of our interaction. It's the pattern that we develop uh, in our relationship of what we do together, how often we do it. Um, and when we interact, when we call each other, how we stay in touch. And then the third requirement of all relationships, you've got to have this good feeling and you want to spend time together. Mm -hmm. But if you don't do the third, which is vulnerability, which is feel like you actually know each other, feel like you're getting to know each other, feel like they see me, they get me, they know me, uh, then that's the third requirement is feeling this sense of deepening, of, of learning more about what makes that person tick? What bothers them? What do they love? What? How do they respond when they're happy? And just learning about who we are and how we how we can show up for each other. And those three things just have to keep happening over and over and over. And I can guarantee anybody listening that any relationship in your life that has ever felt meaningful, you can look back on it and see those three things present. And conversely, any relationship that's not feeling good right now, you can look at it and say, huh, (laughs) oh, that's it. We have a good time together and we see each other all the time. So we've got this consistency in the and the positivity, but we actually don't share it very much. We don't deepen. We don't tell each other very much. So that's why that one doesn't feel as meaningful. Or, you know, you can kind of look and see which one of the three uh, would would enhance that relationship. Gotcha. I appreciate that. And I want to follow up with that because look, when you when you when you are vulnerable, right? Like I get the positivity, I get the consistency. Like you know, uh, and I'm not saying those are easy, uh, but a lot of times when we think about those three, the vulnerability often seems like the toughest. One. And, and so I'm curious, like when you are vulnerable with your friend and stuff like that, and it doesn't also, 
always have to be something sensitive, I would imagine. But mm-hmm. is, is there a sense of like, uh, not, 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 not like a contract, but like a level of responsibility when your friend is being vulnerable with you? Because I know a lot of times, unfortunately, people kind of violate that trust on that vulnerability piece where they go back and tell people to go back and kind of, you know, uh, put throw stuff in their face later on time, you know, uh, later yeah. on down the line. Kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, and and I love that you're bringing this up. I would argue that most um, most of the way we've taught friendship, and I was just going to highlight that for men mm-hmm. in our culture, we have vulnerability is not the one we've encouraged. It's right. not the one that we've allowed. We haven't really modeled that. And so we have taught for the most part men to do friendships with consistency and positivity, go yeah, have a good yes. time and spend time with each other, yes. right? Go do activities. Yes. Um, and so, so vulnerability is the one that many people are least practiced at uh, because the other two are what often uh, held up higher. I will say when I'm studying a lot of women's relationships, um, vulnerability actually is not the hardest one for them and positivity might be the hardest one for them. So it doesn't, so I would say it's probably not in, uh, you know, and when I study companies, when I go in and get scores from companies, vulnerability is actually one of their highest consistent scores, which is really interesting. interesting. Yes. So it's not necessarily the hardest one, but it might be, um, it might be one of the scarier ones for sure. Cause we don't talk about it a whole lot. And I would just say that why I teach these three on a triangle is to answer your question. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom of the triangle on the foundation is positivity, good feelings. It has to feel good. And then, and then you move up some consistency. So it has to feel good before I want to spend time with you or interact with you or lean into the conversation. Right. And so then I'm stepping into a low level of consistency at the very bottom of the triangle. And I teach that the vulnerability should match the level of consistency on the right side of the triangle. So if I have low consistency, in other words, not that much history with you, not that many interactions, then my vulnerability should be appropriately low too. And that means I show up with authenticity, but it doesn't mean I'm going to open up and share and disclose stuff with you. And so then I share a little bit about who I am, like why I'm at this networking event or how much I enjoy my job, or just kind of, here's an idea we have. And so anytime we're brainstorming or introducing ourselves or sharing a little something that might not be high vulnerability, but it is a sample of showing ourselves a little bit. And then it needs to repeat the cycle because then when, based on how I am vulnerable in a low level vulnerability, then other person needs to respond in a way that leaves me feeling positivity, which is with empathy or validation or thank you for sharing or Yes, I get that too. I've been feeling that way similarly. And so it needs to leave us feeling good before, which is positivity, before we want to do it again, which is consistency. And then every time we're interacting with a little bit more, the next interaction, I will trust a little bit more. And maybe now I go up to a level two on vulnerability. And then it feels good based on how I share. And then we do it again. And so if you keep repeating those three things, by the time you're sharing something that actually feels really vulnerable, I would argue you should be pretty far up that triangle with that other person. And it shouldn't be that big of a risk at that point, because every time you've shared with them in the past, they have left you feeling good about who you are in your life and they have proven to be trustworthy. So by the time you're taking big risks, there's not that big of a risk because they're kind of proven, if you will. So I teach that, you know, yes, there's little risks of vulnerability. And every time you're showing up and giving a little of yourself, there's a little risk, but you're not jumping off like the high, the high board and the swimming pool. You're jumping off the low board and you're working your way up there so that it actually is quite an infrastructure of commitment and trust and safety before you're revealing that thing, if that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. And I appreciate you sharing that. It's funny when you talk about, uh, you know, men and that vulnerability piece, because I'm thinking about how uh, when me and my best friend were kids and we we're just sitting there playing video games and he just paused the games like, hey, man, I'm kind of 
going through something like you know, right mm. now. And he and he shared it with me. And honestly, I was kind of like, uh, this is uncharted territory. I don't really know how to, I cannot compute. I don't know what's going on. And honestly, we just kind of, just kind of shoved it off. And we never talked about it until about maybe three years ago, it, it came mm. up. And I was, and I was like, and I think I seen something on the news and, and I guess maybe, you know, as we understand mental health a little bit more and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I called him. And I was like, you know, man, you told me something a few years ago, I, and I'm sorry, I was not there for you. So I definitely understand what you're talking about, and I appreciate you sharing that part. It just when you were talking, it just made me think about that for sure. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, it's a really unfortunate thing because friendship has often been treated like a women's issue, and we often right. act like women need it, and you know, women they're just like they need this. But when you study other cultures and when you study history. Friendship actually used to be, ironically, something that only men had and that women couldn't be trusted to be friends. And so, I mean, it's actually so interesting that it's just with culture now, we act like it's a female thing and it's like pink and pom-poms and like girls night and all this language around it. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book is that I really, really am passionate about loneliness and its relationship as a human need. And we see high numbers among men because we've done such a disservice acting like this is something women do. And we've therefore only really allowed men, and this is changing for sure, but kind of culturally, we've really only allowed and encouraged men to be vulnerable in romantic relationships with women. (laughs) So therefore it's like there, that's where we've told them it's okay. And then it's kind of funny. I get after women a lot because then we act all all upset when men remarry after death and divorce so much quicker than women do. Mm -hmm. And we go, why do they need that? And it hasn't even been six months or whatever. And I'm like, that's the only relationships we've told them. It's okay for them to be open and reveal and be vulnerable. We women have a lot of cultural acceptance around going and being vulnerable with other women and we don't have to jump into a romantic relationship to get that need met. And so we've got women having to fulfill this need for men because we have not really encouraged men to do this with each other. And that's changing, but it's hurting men. And I would argue that's why men are dying younger than women. So it's really an issue where I wrote this book, (laughs) a secret agenda for writing this book was like, how do we write about friendship in a way in, in a book that men will read? Because their health is being affected by this in a big way. For sure. And I appreciate it. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. This fresh coat of the Startup Life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexil series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush 
which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. This episode is sponsored by Swanson Health. Startup Nation, Swanson Health has been producing quality vitamins and supplements, foods, healthy home, and self-care products for over 50 years. Since 1969, from the heart of America, Swanson Health carries over 20,000 wellness products at a great value. Pick up all of your favorite health products, plus discover new ones for your wellness routine, all while leaving money in your pocket. If you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use code STARTUP20 for 20% off at swanson.com. We have a link there in the show notes if you listen to the replay. This episode of The Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. That And once again, Startup Nation, that book is The Business of Friendship, making the most of our relationships where we spend most of our time. And once again, if you listen to the replay on the podcast, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. Go ahead and purchase that book. You know, and honestly, when you were just talking again just now, I just thought about how I, I think a lot of times and not just the mental health piece and we're more accepting about it and stuff like that. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think I became more vulnerable once I start having kids. Mm. It, it's funny how that works. You know, and I like, you know, I, cause I am, I love dad jokes. I love being silly around my kids and stuff like that. And that's kind of opened up some stuff to kind of have, you know, conversations with my wife. Like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, like there's times where, you know, now with the, uh, the, the pandemic and self quarantining and all the other stuff, I've been a lot open. Like, you know, uh, my, my wife, Kenda is like, Kenda, I'm going through something right now. I'm like, I'm not having a good day today. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and so it, mm-hmm. it's just funny that you mentioned that, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm in therapy. I feel like I'm in therapy. Right so, <laughs> no, I love it. I love how self-reflective you are. I yeah. mean, that's the power I, I, of this is to try things on and say, yeah, this is, this is speaking to me. For sure. For sure. I appreciate that. And, and speaking of our new normal and stuff like that, you actually uh, had some uh, content on your YouTube uh, channel recently about, you know, uh, kind of uh, diving into if you're a new coworker or a new worker in the, in the, in the new normal that we're having and stuff like that, kind of share uh, some of that content if you don't mind yeah i love how prepared you are for this interview look at you bit, in the book bit. and on the ted talk a and bit. <laughs> <laughs> no it's awesome yeah on my youtube channel i post a new video every week mm-hmm. and uh the last uh, recent series 
is on working remote. And it's interesting because I get a lot of media interviews and everybody always asks, you know, what tips do you have for practicing these three requirements when it's remote? And I, it is always so important to come back to those three requirements because whether we're in person or remote, it doesn't matter as much as are these three things happening. Right. And, but it's, it's hard for me to do that in a sound bite. Uh, as you can tell, I'm super passionate about all the context. And Absolutely. That, story. And so, and that video series is like, okay, so how do you do this if you're the manager? That's one video. You know, how do you do this if you're like the advice I would give to you if you're working remote uh, and you're used to working with your office and your company is different. If you already had some relationships established, now all we're talking about is how to, you know, keep those relationships going, which is different than if you're starting a brand new job uh, and you've never met any of these people and stuff. So yeah, the video series is, is helping you walk through a variety of different circumstances for all of us who are working remote. And at the end of the day, it's looking and saying, I would, if I had to say one thing about remote in general, that kind of works for everybody. And you can look at the videos for more specific things, but is that I feel like we've kind of figured out the consistency piece more or less. Uh, we are having a whole bunch of meetings. We're on zoom all the time. Right. We're like interacting. We've got email. Like we figured out how to interact and stay productive. I feel like what we're missing is the positivity and the vulnerability. A lot of people and teams are getting burned out. Uh, they are getting off of a day of video meetings and not necessarily feeling more seen mm. or more valued or right. more better about themselves and their job. And so we really, as managers and as employees, probably need to look and say, uh, what can we be doing to make some of that consistency feel more meaningful and uplifting and where we all are being seen a little bit more? And I would invite all of us to kind of look at those three requirements and to say, whatever your circumstances are right now, which one of these three would make the biggest difference to you ending more days, feeling more connected and, um, you know, brainstorming and listening to those videos or whatever to try to figure out how you can increase the one that might make the biggest difference for you. For sure. For sure. And I appreciate you sharing all that. And Startup Nation, if you want to check out those YouTube videos, once again, if you listen to the replay on the podcast, we have a link there in the show notes for Shasta's YouTube page to check out all of that content. And speaking of the new normal, you know, and I talked about this at the top of the show where we have some some new co-workers, if you will, if we're working from home and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and I came across a, a recent thread that I, I thought was interesting because there's uh, a, a, I think it was a Twitter thread about wives, you know, explaining how uh, they, they've seen their husband working from home in a new light. One uh, wife said that she saw that her husband is the finger guns guy. Well, he's at work. And, and then another uh, a wife said that she saw that her husband, you know, was like extremely like, you know, patient with like a subordinate and like talking them through and coaching mm. them up. She's like, who is this guy? Like, that's not the guy uh, that comes home. So I guess I want to stick with that one a little bit. Kind of talk about, you know, working through that a little bit, because a, a lot of spouses are working from home, you know, both remotely or whatever the case may be. And they're seeing a different side. Uh, that yeah. you know, that can be kind of jarring a little bit, I would imagine. Yeah, I love that. To me, that's an expression of it's an increased expression of vulnerability. I actually mm. say so. Vulnerability isn't just about how deep we share; it's also how many facets of us people see. So, right. if I only work with you in an office, you only see me in this one way, which you might see me a lot in that way, but you only see me in this way. Whereas it's different than when I'm on the basketball court, which is mm. different than when I'm with my kids, which is different than when I'm with my friends, which is different than when I'm at home with you know, romantic with my wife and or my husband or whatever. And right. so, I think it's really interesting seeing that um so vulnerability like the people who are at the high top of the triangle with me the people at the top of the triangle it's not just that i share more disclose more deep stuff with them it's that they see me in more areas of my life like they know me in all these different areas and know more of me and so i think this is really cool for our marriages it's cool for our 
spouses to see us a little bit more of who we are during the day. Here right. we are making our big contribution and they get to kind of see us and, and see that. And that's one of the reasons why I love, you know, if we're in our traditional workplaces, that's why I think it's so important that we do feel belonging there because here we are making our biggest, you know, one of our biggest contributions in the world. We're spending eight to 10 hours a day doing it. Right. And if we don't feel like we're seen and it's accepted and it's valued and it's supported and it's like appreciated, then like who, like wh- we can't go home and just tell our spouse about it in the right. same way and get the same joy we get when people actually get to witness us doing that, you know, and to have people who are just like, well done. Like I saw that I witnessed it. I was there. That's awesome. And <laughs> I do think we've done a huge disservice. We we've let like our personal life and I'm doing air marks around personal life and, and work life kind of like we've complained over the years about how they've bled into each other. But that often just means we're just doing more email from home or mm-hmm. like we're not doing good time carving out protective time, but we have not done a good job. The part where, where it would be good is if we crossed over more where we came home and got to share that side of us with our spouses more, or we were able to go home, go to work and get more celebration for who we are besides just this employee. And I do think identity wise, this is really cool for all of us to kind of be sitting with. I'm not just this one person here and a one person here. This is me. This is all of me and different things bring out different sides of me, but the people that I want to work around and be around, I want them to see different sides of me. Like I'm not just one thing, you know? So I think it has the opportunity to be really cool and help us feel like we know each other better. Gotcha. You know, it's funny you mentioned that my, my wife, uh, before we started the company, she used to be a teacher. And so one of the, there was a time where she went to the grocery store, uh, uh, and uh, one of her students saw her like she said the grocery store. I'm like the grocery <laughs> store. She's like, yeah, I go gr- shopping for groceries too. So when you talk about like seeing those different sides and stuff like that, like yeah, this is all of me. I go to the grocery store. I go to the movies from time to time because that was another example. Uh, you know, I guess that happens when you're a teacher. You see your students all over the place sometimes. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, all of us want that. You know, what I mean, yeah. like, I was just talking to somebody this weekend and. She was, she started a new job and she's working remote and, and she's like, I just, uh, we're just all diving in and being pushed to like have these big work conversations. But she's like, I'm working with people that they don't even know who I am. They don't even know if I have a child. They don't know what my life is like. Like she wants to be seen for having, like, I'm a person, you know, I show up here and I like, I want them to have some context. I want them to feel like they know me before I am weighing in on all these big work things. And I think, and, and vice versa. I mean, I think about how meaningful it is to me to have my friends you know, every once in a while, one of my friends will like, they'll read my book or they'll come to one of my book signings or they hear me speak or they heard my interview on right. something. And it's, it's meaningful. I mean, those of us who are entrepreneurs, I mean, it's meaningful. We're, we're working alone so much. Mm. Uh, and I think it's really important that we go, how do we, how, how can we better see our friends? How can we get our friends to see us? I mean, this is a big part of our life and it's more to do more than just selling to them. Right. What I want them to see what I'm doing and what I'm creating and what I'm building. And my, you know, my friends can, read what I'm doing, but it's a whole nother thing for them to come experience it. Like I feel closer to my friends who have heard me speak and they get to be like, wow, I mean, I knew you were a speaker, but that was amazing. You know what I mean? And that feels good. We all want that validation in the areas where, where we're doing what we can in the world. For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And Startup Nation, you know, when you go to ShastaNelson.com, you see a whole, a lot of uh, resources, especially under the free friendship resources tab, where uh, there's the, the community maker circle uh, and the, the, the virtual and the virtual friendship retreat, which I'm kind of interesting uh, in as well. But once again, go to ShastaNelson.com. Uh, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you listen to the replay on the podcast, and if you go there and you have a organization and you want her 
to speak there. You can also book her book her there uh, as well. So I wanted to ask you this because back in 2018, you did something cool with Facebook on Friendship Day. Kind of talk about that experience. Yeah, it's one of the really cool things about my work is that um, companies are starting to say, okay, we do want those friendships up and especially social media companies and Facebook being one of them. Yeah. So they were coming to me and just saying basically like, you know, we don't, we aren't just here wanting to promote Facebook. We actually are hoping that people are building relationships on this network. So Mm. they asked me if I would do uh, be a spokesperson in a role for them for some media stuff where I had the opportunity to just go in and talk about what is friendship and why is it important and what are some of the ways we can use Facebook to do that. And that certainly is not the only way to do it. But I, to me, it's always like, what are all the options of things that we can do? Right. And I would, I would say yes, any opportunity where I'm given the chance to be like, how can we make this company this social media website, this network more meaningful, where we feel more seen with vulnerability in safe ways, where it feels more satisfying because we've got good positivity and where it feels more reliable and more trustworthy because we have consistency there. And so, yeah, I'm, I was, it was an honor to partner up with them and any company that reaches out for how can we, how can we do a better job basically of uh, connecting our people to each other? For sure. For sure. I want to ask you this because when you, have you ever had a situation or a scenario where you go to one of those companies and speak or do like workshops or something like that and you have that one person where it's like oh okay here goes the cycle <laughs> like here we go you know and if you've had that experience kind of talk about how you work through that and, and kind of share with them that there is value in uh, what you're bringing and that you can get something out of yeah absolutely i yeah, I mean, certainly. I everywhere we go, there's going to be skeptics of this. And right. I was just on a, I was just doing a podcast interview the other day, and the podcaster was just like, "So I have actually really, really strong opinions against friendships at work, you oh, know." And okay. like, so, yeah. And I, to me, it's always like, okay, so tell me about what those fears are. And I, once I hear them, I can always say, so actually, what you're afraid of, what you're talking about in that scenario was. Um, you're actually afraid that at the end of the day, they will choose their job over you. And so therefore you have created a belief that you can't trust friends at work because you think that at the end of the day, they'll backstab you in order to get their job. And so then I'm able to kind of like parse that and be like, so what you're actually not afraid of is you're not afraid of actually friendship. You're just recognizing that with most of your friends there, you need to realize where they are on the triangle with you and that, yes, they have their job. And the end of the day, the job, both of you have to do your job well and show up there. And so you're not talking about whether you're friends or not. You're talking about whether you rank the job number one and the friendship number two or vice versa. And I was like, that's just a matter of healthy expectations. That's not a problem of a friendship. That's a problem of expectation, you know? And so you can actually start having this conversation by the end, you know, he stopped recording and he was like, wow, I think you just changed my entire opinion on everything. And I was like, well, you should have said that on the show, <laughs> but I, but I think it's so it's helpful. I guess my answer to your question is like asking, what is it you're afraid of? You know, like what's your pushback and being able to hear that because then it allows me to kind of say, okay, so what you're actually, what I'm hearing you say is this, thank mm. you for your vulnerability here's how I would address that. And here, here's what I think would actually make for a healthier way going forward. And, um, you know, just having to hear each other. I think that's one of the hard, that's one act of vulnerability. Honestly, we often think of vulnerability as disclosing information. It takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability to be curious 
right. to um, not just be defensive. You know, actually vulnerability, the opposite of vulnerability is defensiveness. And I think it's easier for us to show up defensively than to just kind of let our guard down and say, I'm not actually in danger here. I can let this person disagree with me. I don't need to defend me. I don't need to defend my book. I don't need to defend my political views. I don't, you know, like I We know. all are showing up in a world where we're so defensive right. that one small act of vulnerability is just curiosity. Like, what are you saying? What matters to you? And just hearing each other, like, what are they saying is really the thing here? And then we're talking about something that matters. And then how can I bring positivity, which means how can I show up and talk about this in a way that doesn't leave this person feeling devalued, but, the, but they actually feel seen. They actually feel like I value what they're saying and hear them and can appreciate their honesty. And now how can I show up and respond and likewise in, a, in that manner? So that's kind of the approach I take. And I, I, I absolutely thank you for sharing that because I actually uh, appreciate that and agree with you. I actually made a post on my social media the other day, like, you know, when you're going back and forth with somebody that, you know, obviously, they, you know, they want you to, you know, they, you know, it's important for them to feel right or whatever the case may be. But I think honestly, I think more importantly, they want to be heard. And on top of that, mm-hmm. they want to acknowledge they want you to acknowledge that you hear them. Uh, mm-hmm. And you get a lot of, you know, uh, civil discourse that way, and which is why it goes back to that thing, I believe, being uh, optimistic or naive. I don't you know whoever thinks whatever. But um, <laughs> but, you know, that 90 percent of people can be can be reasoned with, I, you know, and, and that's what I I take that approach. To that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. For people sure. are very few people. I'll tell you all the. I've had 12 years of people sending me their friendship complaints and asking for advice and mm-hmm. sending me like these huge things. And I will tell you that all of those things I've read, 99% of them are not things that if you, if I were to show you the letters, we would not sit there and say, wow, that friend that she's complaining about is just a bad friend. Like it's very, it's usually not that somebody woke up that morning wanting to be malicious and disappoint their friend and did something really blatantly harmful. It's most of the time that they just didn't live up to our expectations. Mm. It's that we wanted something and they didn't come through for that. But if we were really to pull it back from the hurt feelings and from, uh, you know, the taking it so personally, we would see that very few people are showing up wanting to disappoint or hurt somebody. Right. I mean, I just, I hardly seen those scenarios. So kind of back to your point, it's not, it's, I'm not like you're saying they're reason they can be reasoned with. And I would agree with the assessment and say, I just think most people aren't showing up trying to hurt you. Like Fair most enough. people aren't waking up saying, I want to disappoint my friend today. <laughs> you know, right. and if we could just kind of if we could just give them, assume the best and to say they didn't love me well in that moment, but they probably didn't, if they knew that it would probably devastate them. Like they would probably want, they're probably trying to love me well and they're caught up in their own story or with something I said. And I think we can get to the bottom of this. If we're two people who probably want the best for each other, what can we do to like move forward on that? You know, and I think it's, uh, we get our feelings hurt and then just kind of assume the worst of the other, which is so easy to do. Absolutely. Hashtag big facts. I appreciate you sharing all of that for sure. And once again, startup nation, we're wrapping up with Shasta Nelson, the author of the business of friendship, making the most of our relationships where we spend most of our time. Once again, if you listen to the replay on the podcast, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access for you. Go ahead and purchase that book. I think you should put that, uh, and in your entrepreneurial toolkit, as you move forward in your company uh, and, and, and building your company and you're building your team, I think this is a very important book uh, to have, to have that rapport amongst all of your uh, coworkers and employees and team members and stuff like that. So Shasta, I want to ask you, I want to switch gears here because I'm on your Instagram and I see uh, you have a, a, a few, uh, you know, uh, posts about food and stuff like that. Kind of give us a, a, a quarantine <laughs> recipe that, that's kind of a go-to for you, if you don't mind, Shasta. <laughs> I love food and, and drink and yeah, well, quarantine, 
I'm not one of those ones who are out baking and cooking. I can tell you, gotcha. it's been okay. more, it's been more just like what's fresh and easy and okay. comforting. But yeah, I anything that's got some cheese in it and some fresh stuff in it, I'm all, I'm all about. Oh yeah, you, you, you had me at cheese. I, I am definitely, <laughs> yeah, you had me at cheese for sure. Shasta, if you don't mind me asking, what's your entrepreneurial superpower and why? Mm, entrepreneurial superpower. I think it's uh, hopefully it's building relationships and, and in, inspiring people. I love, um, I love giving hope and kind of motivating people. So yeah, those things would be, I built my whole business on just trying to motivate people toward hearing their, their hunger for relationships and doing something about it. I hear that. And so before I ask the last question, I just want to thank Shasta Nelson uh, for coming on the show. You gave us amazing insight into your book and, and the work that you do. And I'm glad you said that you love to kind of give hope because that's what we're going to ask of you right now. There's somebody out there in Startup Nation who, uh, you know, with everything going on, it's, it's a little discouraging out there. Kind of give mm-hmm. us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind. I would be so honored to. I just want to say if you're somebody out there who's feeling discouraged, if you're feeling disconnected, if you're feeling lonely, I would just say first, that is a normal thing. It's healthy. It means your body's working. It means it's a good message to receive. I think it's a beautiful thing for us to hear our body say, I want more connection. So don't listen to any voices that act like that's a wrong thing or that there's any shame in that. We, most of us will feel that on a, on a pretty regular basis. And so the bigger thing is asking yourself today, what's one thing you can do that would just move you toward increased connection. And if that's reaching out to somebody, building more, putting more consistency into a relationship that's already meaningful, I think that's, you know, a friend you haven't talked to in a while, if you can just interact with that. Maybe it's trying to find a way within your business to say, what can I do to create more accountability and connection in my business? I work by myself. Maybe it's starting a mastermind. Maybe it's reaching out to three or four other friends and say, let's do a weekly thing or a monthly thing where we're in each other's business and supporting each other and helping each other. I mean, There's so many ideas, but I just want to say, feel that hunger, love yourself for hearing it, and then just say, okay, I want to make sure that I'm not, I want to be more connected this time next year. So what's something I can do to move me toward connection? It's, it's the most important thing you can do for your business and for your health and for your happiness. I'll just end by saying 70% of our happiness comes down to our relationships. And so you can get everything you think you want and it's going to add up to 30%. There's just nowhere that matters more for you investing your time and your energy and your resources than in your relationships. So hear that hunger and respond to it. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much. And that's going to wrap up this session of The Start of Life. We want to, want to, want to thank, once again thank Shasta Nelson for coming on the show. Thank you so much, ma'am. You are so welcome. Thank you for your beautiful interviewing skills and your encouragement and affirmation you did a great job i appreciate that and as always startup nation if you have an idea be about that life the startup life if you want to let us know what you think about our show have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show send us a message on the startup life podcast facebook page and while you are there like and follow our page as well it's a great way for us to engage with you startup nation and really grow our community The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.